this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. everyone this is david welcome back behind the velvet rope let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one the only ms nikki haskell hi how are you today what is up and where are you in the world well at the moment i'm in los angeles and you know i've been sort of back and forth between new york and la and um I don't get back to New York as much as I used to, which is bothering me terribly. But um, I still have the same apartment that I lived in 50 years ago. In New York City. Right. On I'm not a girl who likes to change around a lot, as you can tell. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming your apartment's on the Upper East Side, right? I've just made up that backstory for you. No, no, no. I live on 68th Street. Okay. Do you, do you miss New York these days because you don't get back as much? Well, you know, I'm very funny. I'm, I, I, I wish I were able to go back and forth the way I used to, but I'm working on a couple of projects that are sort of keeping me here. But I, I have no problem. I get on the red eye. I get right into New York, go right to my apartment, sleep, get up. I'm ready to go. So, I mean, I have no problem. Well, you grew up in Los Angeles. So you're, I a, did. you're a California girl by birth. No, no, no. I was born in Chicago and I moved to Los Angeles when I was about 13. How was growing up in Beverly Hills? What was that like? Fabulous. It was absolutely, it was like living in a movie set. You know, I went to Beverly Hills High School and and the basketball court opened up and there was a swimming pool underneath. I mean, it was very cool. It's not a bad place to grow up. The Beverly Hills High School was like, just like you see it in the movies. You know, I used to work you know, big felt skirts with poodles on them. And, you know, it was was really a great time to grow up. I mean, the worst thing that you could have done in my day was like smoke a cigarette, you know, 
in school or something. Nobody did drugs. I mean, maybe they did them, but you know, I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, something that everybody, I didn't know anybody that did drugs until I got much older, actually. But it was great growing up in Beverly Hills. Actually, the interesting thing about Beverly Hills is if you grow up here, the people that are here are still here. Like, for instance, if you grow up other places, all your friends move away. They all move to Beverly Hills, <laughs> you know? They do, totally. I grew up in Connecticut, but like between Connecticut and New York City, the same thing. It's like, if you're from like New York or LA or, you know, people grow up there and stay. Yeah, it's, it's great. But I moved to New York. So I, I grew up in Beverly Hills and I got married when I was very young and divorced. And actually we were in New York. My husband was writing a book he was in the real estate business and we moved back to New York and we lived on uh, 59th and 5th. And um, he said to me one day, why don't you get a job? And I thought, well, why would I want, really want to get a job? I got married, so I actually wouldn't have to get a job, right? So I had made a lot of money in the stock. I was married and divorced twice to the same person. And I made a lot of money in the market uh, the first time, like a fluke. So I thought, well, maybe I should do this. I made so much money not knowing anything so a friend of mine owned a brokerage firm and I went to him and he gave me a job. And unbeknownst to me, I was amongst the first five women on Wall Street, which was great. I did that for 10 years. And then one day I, I just, that was it, that was it. And then for a year, I couldn't figure out what to do. And then Prince Egon von Furstenberg came to me and said, I'm doing this television show. Would you like to be my co-host? So we, it was on cable. Nobody watched cable. You say cable, he would go, ooh, cable. So we um, we contracted to do this show. It was an hour show. And he wanted, and then I had gone off to uh, Cannes and Saint-Tropez. And he called and said he didn't want to do the show. And they called, the people that were producing it at the time said, we've decided to make it your show. So I went from not having any show to having my own show. So I went back and we started the show. They wanted to shoot it in a studio. And I wanted to shoot it at Studio 54. So I got my way in the opening show we shot at Studio 54. And they want, and I just, I took the show over myself because they wanted, they wanted to go in a different direction. And I did that for six years. I went all over the world. What was it like before we even get there? What was it like? Because I know you mentioned you were a stockbroker and right, like you got married. You're like, why am I going to get a job? But being one of the first women on Wall Street back then, like, what was it like? Was it not a big deal? I mean, I imagine it was interesting being part of the all boys club. Well, I actually quite loved it because, um, you know, as you're in the middle, if, as you're in the middle, you know, Winston Churchill said, when you're in the middle of a war, you just keep going. So even though I didn't really know what I was doing, I was just sort of having a terrific time. I did quite well. I became very, very successful at what I was doing. And I was very proud of doing that because, you know, I was like a really lousy student. I mean, I barely got out of Beverly Hills High School, you know, so it was a, it was quite an achievement. And I think uh, from a, a, a growing standpoint, it was probably one of the biggest stepping stones and launching of my life, my career, my entrepreneurial ventures and everything. The groundwork was really set when I became a stockbroker. It was, you know, I wasn't used to doing anything like that. And it was, it was great. You know, I was, it was quite adventurous. And there used to be restaurants that said for men only. It, they didn't say no women allowed. It just said for men only. Well, I, I thought, well, that, that's perfect. I'll go right there. So I always went in and sat at the best tables. And 
I never paid any attention to any of those things. Wow. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's not easy being a stockbroker on Wall Street now. It's like it's a tough Probably job. worse now. I mean, it was a, it was really fun. I mean, actually, at one point, they had so much business, they closed the, they closed the market on Wednesday. So we were only open for like four days a week at the beginning. Wow. But it was it was great. I learned a lot. It really it's a backbone of my financial career. I understand exactly what's going on in the world, you know, much better than I would have just as a, you know, a woman growing up. Totally. So how did you go from that into hanging out at Studio 54? Like, were you going at night, like partly for business? Is that how it started when you were a stockbroker or was it after that? That's an excuse. People don't go at, but, but the truth of the matter is I was always disco. I was always a disco junkie from day one. Okay. So when I grew up, there was a great club in Los Angeles called the Daisy. And the Daisies were Frank Sinatra went and Dean Martin and all the movie stars went there and you'd go and it was fabulous and it was private and it was on Rodeo Drive and you walked in, there were smoky mirrors on either side and a cute little dance floor and they played pool in the other room and there was a private club. So I started really early with this great desire that I have to go dancing as I loved it. Then there were several other clubs that opened in Beverly Hills. But by the time I moved to New York, there was a club called called Le Club, which was a private club in the Upper East Side. And I was one of the very few female members. And if I went out with somebody and they didn't want to go to Le Club, I never went out with them again. But then the nightlife scene became great. There was clubs everywhere, in hotels, downtown. And I mean, I was already going dancing every night of my life anyway, because I mean, I just, you know, that was, I, I actually, I, I worked all day so I could go dancing at night. I could never, you know, I couldn't just stay home all day and then go dancing, but I worked it in. I, I went dancing almost every single night. And when studio opened, um, actually I was, I was having dinner with Donald and Ivana Trump. They had just gotten married and we were at Elaine's having dinner and Donald never went to clubs at all. And I said, oh, we have to go to the opening of this club. It's going to be so fabulous. It's called studio 54. So we all got in the car. We went down to studio 54 and it was so early. The club, wasn't open. In fact, there wasn't even anybody out in front. So we knocked on the door and knocked on the door. Finally, some man opened the door and he was still painting. He was painting up on the ceiling. And we walked in. There was no music playing at all. And Donald said, I thought you told me this was going to be such a fabulous club. You know, I was a little surprised too. We walked in. There was no music was playing. I was there when they put the first record on the turntable. So it was. So what happened was after when we got there, there was about a hundred people there, and Margot Hemingway was there, and uh, Brooke Shields, and there was a small little group, and we were all talking in front and everything, and then they started playing the music, and like nobody came, and everybody's like, "Where is everyone?" So finally, when Donald decided to leave, he pushed open the doors. There was a theater, and there were thousands of people. We, we went out the back way. There were people all the way around the block, solid. The reason there was nobody inside, they couldn't open in the door. Everybody was pressed up against the door. And wow. that's how studio became famous. Wow. Well, you know, listen, it is famous. It's possibly, I think, I mean, the most famous club to ever exist in New York. Tell us, I mean, is it like we think it is? You know, I mean, you see, you've see, seen the movies, you read all the books, you've heard all, I mean, is it really, was it that legendary inside? Okay, so, you know, let's go back to that. So they made a movie called Studio 54, which was about a Kochek girl, a, a Kochek girl and a bartender. So that's nothing to do with Studio 54. That's two disgruntled employees telling you about their job. 
studio as the background, okay? Ian Schrager did Behind the Ropes, okay? And that was his story about, you know, how he created the club and everything and ended up going to jail and so, but my story is completely different. Actually, they're doing a TV show on my life and it's called Fabulous, The Fabulous Life of Nikki Haskell. And it opens at Studio 54. And I am honored to say that I'm in, in, it's moving along. And basically what you'll see more in my story is the music. Because the truth of the matter was, no matter how many people got laid or drank or did whatever they did, at the end of the day, Studio 54 was about the music. As you walked into studio, it was it like engulfed you. You sort of like were like drawn into, in, into the entranceway and you were like, mesmer, it was like a mesmerizing feeling walking down this hallway with these gigantic chandeliers and you could feel, I mean, you could feel the beat when you walked in and you walked into the place. And of course, it was very, very cool. I had the bar on the right, gorgeous guys, topless, you know, shaking up the martinis and everything. And the disco booth was up there. And the dance floor was just said, dance on me. Come here. I want you to do. And the music was so great. All you wanted, all I wanted to do was to dance. And I danced and danced and danced and danced. I just loved it. It couldn't have been any more fun. Who were your favorites as far as music back then? Like some, what, what's, what of the seventies music did you love? Well, I go, you know, fortunately for me, I mean, you know, the village people, you know, and all the, all, all, all the Donna Summer music, you know, can't go wrong with that. Gloria Gaynor. There were a lot of other, you know, there was, uh, you know, tons and tons of acts and million, you know, it was th- songs were great. Every day there were new songs and the disc jockeys were so fabulous the way they mixed the music that you just, just when you want, you thought, well, maybe I'll get off the dance floor now. They started playing something else and dragged you right back in there. But I was very good. I didn't do any drugs, you know, and I would dance and I made sure that I went home between two and three every night, you know, always home by myself. I'm sure once in a while, maybe I took somebody home, but very rarely. And um, actually, if I had a date and they didn't want to go to studio, I would let them go. You know, I'd say, well, good night. Don't bother to get out of the cab. And I get right back in the cab and go right to studio. So it made me a very independent person because I would never have done anything like that before. I love I love how like only in New York do you say, oh, but I was always home early by two or three a.m. I love how. Well, because then there was what we used to call the Dawn Patrol, you know, people that would go out at three in the morning and then they go to Crisco Disco and, you know, all these different clubs. And it was so funny because the, the more private the clubs were, like they take you to the VIP room, the smaller the room became. So when you were like standing in these clubs, like at four o'clock in the morning, like eyeball to eyeball with people, I thought, you know, this is a little bit too much for me. Because basically all I really wanted to do was dance. And these clubs got very social late at night. Did you hang out with, I mean, listen, we all know, like I've seen the pictures, like, right, like Brooke Shields. You've seen pictures of like Michael Jackson and Diana Ross there. Actually, actually. So I'll give you my great Michael Jackson story. So. Um, you know, after studio closed, after Steve and Ian opened a closed studio, studio reopened again under Mark Fleischman. And Mark was great. I mean, of course, you know, you know what they say, you can't reheat the souffle, but even a bad night at studio is better than a good night at any other place. You know, so, you know, I, and I threw a lot of parties there. 
Do you get as stressed out when planning a vacation as I do? Where to go, what to do, where to stay? I definitely needed some extra help in choosing the perfect spot for my next vacation. And that is why I turned to Apple Vacations. They're great. They're known as America's favorite vacation company for good reason. Just think of them, and this is music to my ears, as your one-stop shop for that next-level summer vacation. Apple Vacations will help you plan your entire getaway with confidence from start to finish. We're talking personalized service, exceptional values, and so much more. Plus, you can choose the most gorgeous destinations like Mexico, the Caribbean, Central America, Hawaii, and the continental U.S., Each all-inclusive Apple Vacations package includes round-trip airfare, hotel accommodations, meals, drinks, entertainment, and tips. Non-stop transfers are also included at no additional cost at select hotels. So the entire vacation is as seamless as possible. For a limited time, you can use promo code SAND75 That's SAND75 and take $75 off your stay at Live Aqua in Cancun or Punta Cana. Just go to applevacations.com slash BTVR to get the steal of a deal to your favorite Live Aqua resort today. Again, just go to applevacations.com slash BTVR to get this amazing deal at your favorite Live Aqua resort today. One of the parties I gave, um, it was for Ewell Brenner. He was, it was the last time he was on Broadway for The King and I, and his best friend was Michael Jackson. And the reason he was best friends with Michael Jackson is that when he traveled, wherever he would you know, perform, and if Michael was there, he would always go to see him. So they became very close friends. And it was at the time that Thriller was coming out. So I gave this party. And I always am very careful when I give parties not to, you know, divulge the guest list. Like I, if I said to somebody, you know, Michael Jackson's coming and then he doesn't come, then it's the party that Michael Jackson didn't come to. It's not the party for Yul Brenner anymore. So we did studio. It looked like the set of The King and I. It was absolute. And Mark totally outdid himself. Had big chairs on it. Fabulous. So when they had called me in the afternoon and said they gave me a list of different things that Michael Jackson wanted different kind of a one juice that came for Broadway and something in it, another juice from this and that. And I wasn't going to put these cartons on, on these gorgeous tables. So there, absolutely. There comes Michael Jackson. So we were standing there, poured all the the drinks, you know, in these crystal decanters and put them on the table. And he came with, what's his name? Um, The little actor, um, Huh? No, what would you say? Emmanuel Lewis. He came with him and the two of them sat facing each other. And Michael said, because uh, I had been at the museum about two nights before where they had a party for, for Thriller. I said, do you, have, do you have the video of Thriller? So he said, yes, because nobody knew he was there because we were at a private dinner before. So he we went up on the bridge. Okay. And they dropped, nobody knew he was there. Nobody in studio, except for the people that they, they dropped the screen and they played Thriller for the first time. People were like tearing their hair out. So it was pretty exciting. I was on the bridge with Michael watching it with the old Brenner. Wow. That was a big thrill. That's... And then late, you know, so I met Michael that night 
And then I never saw Michael again. And then many years later, I was, you know, I was very close friends with Robert Evans. And Rob, the, the kid stays in the picture was being honored at the Palm Beach Film Festival. So I went down with, um, with Bob and Michael Jackson was staying at a friend of mine's home in Palm Beach. So that night we had gone out for dinner. When we came back to the house, there was Michael Jackson sitting on the floor, looking at some magazine. It was actually sort of like in the gym where we had walked in. And I, I, I reintroduced myself. I said, I'm, I'm sure you, he was, oh, I know exactly who you are. So we hung out that whole weekend and we went to the Palm Beach Film Festival together. And then he said, would you, will you go shopping with me on Monday morning? So they sent the car for me around 9, 30, 10 o'clock. I, I was staying at the hotel and I go to pick him up and he's dressed like, like Spider-Man. He's like in a full Spider-Man outfit at 10 o'clock on a Monday morning. I said, why are you wearing that Sp Spider-Man costume, you know? He said, I don't want anybody to recognize me, right? Hello. So he walked into the shopping mall and Michael went into, you know, those stores that like you pass and they have jade elephants and columns and clocks and all the, like every kind of piece of fake crap that you can humanly emit, vases. And things. Yeah. He made a beeline for that store. Yeah, I'll take this and I'll take this. And I said, I said, Michael, you can't buy this stuff. This is, you know, they're going to charge. We had a little altercation there. He walked out and when we walked out. There must've been 2000 kids standing right. Out. Of course, they all knew that he was there. I mean, the word went out and then he came back one other time. I saw him actually it was on my birthday. This friend of mine gave a party in Miami and he came down and this time he was with all these kids. Right. And he was in a private area, not where the adults were sitting, where these kids were sitting. So, you know me, I went right in and sat right down next to him. And I'm sitting there talking to him and there's this kid on his lap. Has a, has a hat on, sort of dressed like an adult, tie, everything. And then there's a mother, a woman, and another child sitting. I said, hi, how are you? I'm Nikki Haskell. Who are you? They introduced themselves. I said, what are you, you know, how come you're here? Because he we live, that's my son. She said, we live at Netherland, at Neverland. So she was the mother who was the one that had the son living in the house, and that she's the one at the end of the day that turned him in, you know, came out against him. And six months later, it was all over. I never saw Michael again. What? Well, before we get there, what he was in a hole, like it was literally Spider-Man, like the red webbed costume. Like that's yeah, what he had. With the, with the mask and everything. He went into the store like that. I was dying. I could not believe it. It was and wild. You tried to like help him by saying don't buy this crap and he was right. not having it so he bought half of what he would you know but he bought so much stuff those stores are like they they wait for you once a year they say there's a sucker you know what pt barnum said there's a sucker born every minute and they were waiting for him i mean they were like wringing their hands you know there's alabaster you know ash any kind of i mean there were copies of fake stuff you have a fake stuff with copies you know Totally. And then that was the last time you saw him. So mm -mm. after the mother at the, the on yeah, the this lab. was before the mother thing. Then, then that happened afterwards. I mean, what do you think about all of that? Right. Like, cause you hear all these stories. I, I really, I don't really don't want to pass judgment. You know I mean? I think it's at this point, 
I think it's more important that his music lives on forever. Um, I wasn't there and it looked to me like there was definitely something going on. And I thought there was something going on with Emmanuel Lewis because the minute I spotted him sitting on his lap, I thought to myself, well, this is a little much, but you know, I happen to be kind of person that things, you know, that things are going on usually are because I'm pretty right about it. But I don't think that's the important part about Michael Jackson. I think his legacy is much more important. The music lives on. What about like, what was Michael like, just like as a person, you know, like, my vision is like shy, you know, childlike, but shy. I, he was fun. He was actually quite fun. I have a lot of, where are the, are there pictures in the office? Is there, isn't there a picture in the office of Michael Jackson or myself? Say, they'll walk in there and see, I think it's on the top shelf up in there. See if there's one, Michael and uh, Brett Ratner and uh, Don King. I think I have a picture of us up there. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Do you ever ask yourself why are so many dogs suffering with health issues? Well, actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 1,600 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, says there's one place we can look to support any dog's health, their food. So she decided to create something she could actually feel good about feeding her dogs, and it's called Superfood Complete. Superfood Complete is the only food I use for the dog in my life, Doherty. Why? Why? Because Doherty's health is so important to me. Doherty is so picky. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But he loves this dog food. What do I love best about Superfood Complete? The fact that it's made with over 30 of the healthiest ingredients on the planet. But don't take my word for it. Go to badlandsranch.com slash velvet in order right now to get 50% off your regular priced order with a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S ranch.com slash velvet today. What about, yeah, go on, sorry. I mean, it was fun. I mean, I was, first of all, I was always a huge Michael Jackson fan anyway, you know, and um, there'll never be another Michael Jackson. No, unfortunately. What about like, did you ever hang out with like, you know, like, right, like Brooke Shields, Diana Ross, like all the designers? Yes, of course. Like- well, is, it, is this the picture? Oh, here's a picture. I don't know if you can see it. Can you see this? Yeah. So there's, let me see who's in the picture. So can you see? Or is yeah. It, can, it's I see Michael his- Jackson, myself, and Don King. Don King. Wow. That was from that weekend when we were down there. Wow. We were playing pool. Michael and I were partners against Don King and, and Chris Tucker. I love that. What, and Diana Ross. Okay. Yeah. So in the seventies, I used to be like a diehard backgammon player. If you didn't play backgammon in the seventies, you didn't have a social life. You would go to a party. Everybody would be sitting there playing backgammon. So there was a big backgammon tournament in, uh, St. Martin's and they had a private plane and everybody got on the private plane and everything. 
And I just ended up sitting next to Barry Gordy and Diana Ross. I knew exactly who they were. This was in the 70s. So this is when Motown first started. Diana Ross was like this big. She was this. So that's when I met Diana Ross for the first time. So when we went down there, it was nobody knew who Barry Gordy was. And he was a big backgammon player. And I, I've been friendly with Barry Gordy ever since. Actually, I'm you know quite friendly with Diana Ross. I don't see her as much as I used to. Actually, the last time, was that the last time I saw her? The last time I saw her, we were going through customs. We were going through, I, I was going to New York and she was on the plane with her. In fact, her son told me about this. And she had this big fox coat. And they started trying to pat her down and she got in like a fight, you know, with the, with the, with the, yeah. I think it was in all the papers and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I was standing there. It wasn't her fault. It really wasn't. It was their fault. They were, they actually did it. I think they did it just to do it, you know? I always a big fan of Diana Ross's. I think she's fabulous. Wow. Well, I mean, Studio 54, I could only imagine. Did you ever run into, like, I know Whitney Houston was there a lot at that time, too. Okay, so, you know, you know, of course, I'm very close friends with Clive Davis. Yeah. So I'm honored to say that I was spent a lot of time with Whitney Houston. Not like girl and girl kind of things, you know what I'm saying? But the last time I was with Whitney, first of all, I did the party at the Palladium when Whitney Houston's first, when her album went triple platinum. And we gave a big party at the, at the Palladium for that. But I went with Clive. She was, she had just come out with her last album. I think it was called, I don't remember the name of it. I can't we remember went, either. I'll, 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 if you give me a second, I mean, I'll, I'll think of it. it was called, um, whatever. So we went to London. She was on the show that was sort of like comparable to American Idol kind of thing. And it was Simon Cowell's show. I think it was X Factor. So we fly over to London, okay? And um, we went to the, you know, Clive, Clive was in the room with her and they had all the contestants there. I wasn't in the room then. And they were, he was, they were mentoring them and everything. So then we go to the rehearsals and we're on the stage, okay? And this, there's this gigantic, I mean, the staircase, it must've been about seven stories high. So here's Whitney, okay? Standing at the top of the staircase and the stairs, they were like, they were like big square boxes kind of thing, no railings or anything. So she's singing coming down the stairs, but the stairs are dark. So when she would, when her, when her foot would touch the stair, it would light up. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So she sort of got through rehearsals and everything. I, and then when she came down at the end of the stairs, with pyrotechnics were going on, you know, fireworks were coming up. It was a little unnerving, you know what I'm saying? Okay, fine. So now we get there. I'm sitting, Clive is sitting here and her daughter actually was sitting on my lap, Whitney's daughter. And the, the music comes down, the music goes up, the lights go on. And here's Whitney standing on the top of this thing, wearing a dress that is so, the dress is like this much too long. So here she is, she's holding the dress in one hand and she has the microphone in the other. I'm like, oh, I can't see this going wrong or anything. So as she gets down to the second to last step, her dress breaks. The back of the dress, she was wearing a halter, like a white beaded halter dress. And they had a strap across the back of the dress. And they, you could see it. I mean, I don't know if you could see it on television, but you could see the strap. You know, I was, and her daughter started to scream. I put my hand over her mouth. 
you know, she made it down. I don't know how she made it down. And she made it through all these dancers and the pyrotechnics and everything. And she was huffing and puffing because it was far. I mean, first she had to schlep down the stairs, you know. And she came up at Simon Cowell and she looked at Simon Cowell and she said, well, I guess I sang myself out of my dress, which was a good line, you know. That's I like Whitney. She was great. I was a major, major, major Whitney fan. What was she like to hang out with? Well, I didn't exactly hang out with her, but I did spend time with her. Uh, when Clive won the uh, World Music Awards in Las Vegas, he hadn't seen Whitney since the time she had had her little falling out and didn't make it to the Academy Awards and Beyonce sang. And that was the end of that was the beginning of Beyonce's career. And Clive hadn't seen her during that time. And we went to Las Vegas. They were surprising her by having Whitney there. So we went backstage and she got down on her hands and knees and she pleaded. She was wearing this gorgeous green ball gown, you know. She got down on her hands and knees and she pleaded with him, please take me back. Please, I beg of you, please, I'll do anything. So that's how the last album got made. But that was a, an arduous task. I think it took five years. And she was literally like on her hands and knees begging Clive. Yeah. She wasn't on her hands and knees. She was on her knees. She got down on her knees and went like this. I mean, she wasn't like crawling around or anything. On her knees. Wow. Like this, please, please, please. And And Clive really, really loved Whitney. I mean, he really actually thought of Whitney almost as his daughter because he found her when she was 19, you know, and masterminded her career and was really wasn't very happy that she married you know, Bobby Brown. In fact, Clive gave this big Grammy party every year, which he still, I mean, this year he did a Zoom, but he used to give it at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And Whitney was singing, or she was on the stage singing. And in comes Bobby Brown. He's wearing this white suit, like a tuxedo with a vest and a red shirt. And he takes a chair and he pulls it over and he gets up on the on the stare on this chair and he's like applauding and Clive then two security guards came picked him right up took him right out that was the end of him were they married at this point or was he just no they were married they were married this time or or, yeah I'm pretty sure they were married but Clive never like he could just tell it was never a great thing with Bobby Brown Clive was always very protective of Whitney you know he was very unhappy when she did that reality show he said, you know, you're, you have a, you're an icon. You can't put yourself in that position. But, you know, Whitney had a mind of her own. And obviously, it she led did. to no good. It led and to And, of no course, the, the bodyguard to this day, I think there's only one, maybe one other soundtrack that's bigger than, than Bodyguard, a movie soundtrack. It was like one of the great movies, you know, because of the soundtrack. It was a great soundtrack. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash velvet robe. Listen, life is full of stress. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are. Life is stressful. You may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress level is high, like mine, your temper is shorter than usual, like mine, or even if you're starting to feel strained in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload, unload the stress and get it out. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased and who's not going to judge you or take sides. If there's stuff you can't tell your friends or family, this is the place to do it. Better help is customized online therapy that offers video 
phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain for it. Try it out. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Behind the Velvet Rope listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash velvet rope. Betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. They put it, see, first of all, that movie was being made without her singing in it. And Clive saw the, the Daily Rushes or whatever it was. And he called Kevin Costner and said, how can you make a movie, you know, without having Whitney sing? So he got David Foster. They put it together, got the songs, redid it. And that was it. One of the great movies of all times. You know, definitely Whitney's best movie. I can't imagine The Bodyguard without singing. Can you, it's unbelievable. Well, it's like Saturday Night Fever. You know, how, can you imagine that without singing? You know, it's, it, it, it's a, the vehicle is the music. Which was another great soundtrack. Yes, without question. Well, you did, like you mentioned, you had your own show. You did. You had the Nikki Haskell show, which the was Nikki live. Nikki Haskell show was from- fabulous. What fun I had. You did. I look back at it now, because now, now it's on Amazon Prime. And I've spent the last, I can't even tell you how many years transferring this footage because I have organizational skill problems. For instance, every cassette says like Rio de Janeiro on, you open it up, it says Studio 54 and you put the cassette in and it's the Philippines. So everything is mismarked. There's no dates. I decided, oh, I think I'll color code this. I have no idea what the dates are. So you have to actually go through every single solitary tape. I had boxes and boxes. I had a whole storage facility. And I you know, kept bringing them back to New York. I have this fabulous editor. He's Keith Wheeler. He's just amazing. He, we went through every show. And the other day, we finally, finally edited all the shows. We're not, now I will have all the shows. I'll have close to 100 shows. Wow. And they're now on Amazon Prime, but we're going on Crackle. That's a new network. And there's another couple of places. Crackle's sort of cool. It's a streaming network, but you don't have to join the service. So you can turn it on and it's streaming and they run commercials, which is a great idea. How many many streaming services do you belong to? I'm the wrong one to ask because I join and then I unjoin. Not I, I, I don't know why. It's like $5.99 a month or whatever, but I, yeah, I don't it, really it adds use up. a lot. I have it like does. thousands. I mean, I've got two. I live in New York and L.A. I, for, what I, for what I pay for my cable bill, people live on. Yes, I have like a home cable. But then, right, like when you could only get this on HBO Max or Hulu, then I'll go on for that show. And then I'll be like, oh, it's five months later, which is what they count on. You're like, I haven't watched one thing on HBO Max or Hulu. I'm like, I need to cancel this. And then like the minute you cancel it, a month later, you're like, I now I, there's a new show I really want to watch. <laughs> so, so did you ever go to Studio 54? No, it was like. We, we, so were you a club boy? Not really. I mean, I went out for me, it was like more like in the nineties, like the tunnel and like Twilo. I, I did the first party at the tunnel. Wow. I did the opening of the tunnel. In fact, I gave my, one of my birthday parties at the tunnel. I loved the tunnel. I thought the tunnel was very cool. I and gave like, a lot of parties there. 
Well, I used to like going to Roxy, like the upstairs room. That's where they played like the 80s and the 70s. And that upstairs room at the Roxy on Saturday nights. That's what I, I used to doing. go there. I, I used to, I went I went to all of the clubs. I mean, I went, you name it. I went to all of them. Yeah, I never like I went, but I wasn't like I was more like, let's just go to a bar or let's just go out somewhere. Oh, else. so you're the one you're the one that wants to take us out of the discotheques and into the bars. <laughs> I liked it when it was like 80s and 70s music, like when it was like in the 90s and it was like house music. I'm like, oh, I, just, I, I can't I totally agree. You can't dance to it. No, I wanted like the 70s and the that's 80s. Why my, that's why my, my television show is going to be laced, laced with all disco music. It's sandal season, and that's something I used to wait all year for. But now with the new Croc-style sandals, I embrace those feel-good summer vibes all year long. And you can too. I love Croc's new getaway sandals. With their new feel-free technology, they're so light and soft, it feels like you don't have shoes on at all. It's like walking on clouds. Their Brooklyn sandals, they're so stylish and sophisticated. They have a classic style and a modern simplicity. And let's not forget their new Miami. Miami sandals. They're an elevated silhouette and they have a slight lift, which I love. So thanks to Crocs, these aren't just sandals for a single season. You can wear them year round. And that's what I love best about Crocs because being this comfortable transcends a single season or a single vacation or even a single moment. It's a mindset. Thank you, Crocs. And right now you get 20% off your next purchase at Crocs.com. Just use the code SANDALS20 at checkout. That's sandals20 at crocs.com for 20% off your purchase. Do you remember Tuesday, September 20th, 2016? Because we do. Because it's the day This Is Us premiered after more than 70 million of you watched our trailer and made our show go viral. I'm Mandy Moore. I am Chris Sullivan. And I am Sterling Brown. We are your hosts of That Was Us, a rewatch podcast starting May 14th. Listen to our episodes wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll be able to watch our episodes on the That Was Us YouTube channel. Well, let's talk about this television show. Yes, what would you like to know, darling? Well, okay, so you say it's a fabulous night, Life of Nikki Haskell. So it's in development now. How did this come about? Tell me everything. Well, actually, I start. I started writing this story in like 1975. It started to be the. This had many different changes, and I wrote about wrote it all the way through. I was a stockbroker, and I wanted to make that movie, and then I was going to make another movie about Studio 54. And they went, no, 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 no. We need the Studio 54. So I've been very lucky. I've been working with this terrific writer. His name is Ben York Jones, and um, we worked together for a long time, and he placed the story and we've been sort of, you know, going through the different, cause he wasn't, he wasn't born then. So, you know, studios, you know, you can, you can describe a lot of things. It's really hard to, as, as many times and as books and things have been written about studio, it's really hard to describe studio because it's more of a, it's sort of a feeling. I can't, it's like, an, it, it, it's all from the music. It's all from the, the, the disco beat, it's all that. And so that was, it'll have a lot of that in it. I'm very excited to say that I'm, I know for, I can't really say right now, but we're, I'm, it's going to be great. The music alone is a reason 
for people that's to it. watch. But you know, that's another thing. The other two product, the other two stories that they did, the one that they did called Studio 54, they had one song in it. If I could read your mind now that the, the Gordon Lightfoot song, and they had a cover record of it. And they were like little, I think you're allowed to play like eight bars of something without having to pay for it or something. And that's all they had in the other movie. Mine is going to be sound. It's going to be a disco soundtrack. They actually, the music is going to be like the fourth character. You know what I'm saying? In my, and it will take place at studio, but you have to understand basically studio is only open 42 months. So it's not a story about studio 54. It's a story about my life and how I maneuvered, you know, through the stock market and how, you know, studio, of course, that was my first place I went to, but I went all over the world. I went to the Philippines with the Marcoses. I mean, that was one of the most, I danced in Carnival in Rio on the top of the floats. I mean, it was a, an extraordinary time. The movie, when you say, did you mean the, the movie 54 with Ryan Felipe? Did you see that movie? Yes, that's what I'm talking oh, okay. about. Okay, yeah. What did you think of his performance, at least? Or you just thought the whole movie was awesome? Okay, so that movie put the 80s back 10 years. Okay, you know, everything comes in cycles, like a 20-year cycle. So in the 60s, they do the 40s. In the in the 80s, but then we never got past the 60s and 70s. And we've been 60s and 70s for the last 30 years. Finally, now they're moving back. Now they're, they're giving you a little touch of the 80s. The movie was so bad it killed disco. It killed the 80s completely. I was watching this movie. I thought to myself, and I went to the premiere. I was so, I, I took it personally that it was so terrible. Because studio was so great. You know, it was such great energy. And don't forget, it was the last era of innocence. There were no cell phones. I mean, fax machine was just coming in. Now they don't even use fax machines anymore. You know, I, I don't, I never, and I take a camera with me wherever I go. So I have pictures of everything. But I have no pictures of, you know, I mean, photographers, there were photographers all over studio and they would take pictures of me. But I mean, I mean thank God I had my cameras there, my television show. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any record of studio. There's a couple of people that took a couple of shots here and there. But I was completely obsessed by studio. People would say to me, where do you live? I said, well, I live in Studio 54, but I keep an apartment on 68th Street. Was there, you know, like you, you, you do see pictures of like the white horse being walked in and like what's the most shot and I know like yes you hear about all the drugs and all like the orgies and all of that but like what was like was there Wait a minute, what about I don't I don't think there were any orgies at studio no maybe a couple guys got a blow job here and there I think they may have slight or maybe maybe more but not that much more I mean it wasn't a sex club it was a discotheque believe me a lot of things went went down and up and no who knows where but basically it wasn't it was such a fabulous place I mean it was electrifying. First of all, I never went into the basement because I don't like basements of any place. You know, I like to dance. Did you ever see the movie? Thank God it's Friday. That's where mm. last dance won the Academy Award. No. Okay. So the premise of the movie is why do people go to discotheques? You'd see like a, a dental hygienist, you know, so a little, then at night she puts the wig on the strapless dress goes into the club. So it's pe- people go to the club to get a new identity you know, to feel like they're part of a different world. So they, they, that the humdrum life that they lead has nothing to do with the excitement of the nightlife. And that's what it was about. And there were fun people in there all the time. And nobody ran a club as great as Stephen and Ian. The club was fabulous. Amazing parties. Halloween was, 
they just did the greatest parties forever. And it was, a, it was, a, and you know, something. I always overdid everything, and I'm so glad that I did because you know, I always knew the things that it wasn't going to last forever. I didn't know it was going to last as as short a period of time as it did. So yeah. that's why I went more than I should have because I knew it was going to be over. I'm glad that I did it. You know, you can't wait to do anything. You just have to do it. You do. And that's why your show is moving ahead. Is there any actress or, you know, singer or anything like, you know, that you would want to play you in this, the Nikki Haskell actually, show? Actually, we've sort of, I mean, I don't know if this will ever happen, but I sort of would like Ariana Grande to play me. You know, she's petite and cute and I wore my hair like that, you know, so it was, in, you know, but, you know, I'm sure that they, they'll come up with. And don't forget, there's a lot of characters, uh, different people that, you know, like Alan Carr and different people, you know, throughout my Rick James and people that I was, you know, so friendly with. And I'm sure that they'll, you know, I don't, I don't know how they're going to, I don't know. The answer is, I don't know. They'll figure it out. Hopefully well, they'll do something really creative. Maybe sort of mix the footage that I have, you know, with, I, I don't, you know, something. Breaking the third one. They'll come up with something. Maybe you should reach out to Ariana Grande yourself. Well, actually, the company that I'm working with, which is Republic Records, which owns all of the Casablanca and on all the catalogs, they represent her. So when we get a little further along and I have a script that I feel is apropos of, of you know, of her, because, you know, now there's, it's going to be less and less concerts. And a lot of these girls, you know, have been on the road for a long time now. They'd all like to make a movie and movies, movies aren't what they used to be now. This is sort of a cross between Sex and the City and uh the amazing Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, that's so, how it sounds. You know what I'm saying? So it should be fun. And, you know, I, I have all the original clothes that I wore during that time. So I have everything, you know, you can fit into it. You got the job. <laughs> Why do you think Ariana would be great? Other than the fact that she's petite and, you know, why do you think she'd be great to play you? I, sh- I like her spirit. I like, I like her independence. You know, she's, a, she's short, petite, like I am. And you have to really be strong when you're our height, because you, you know, people say to me, how tall are you? I say, I'm six, two, but I'm very small boned. You have to have a certain dynamic energy. And I think she has that. I think it'd be great for her. It would be great. What about if she was busy? Do you have any second choices? No, I, you know, I actually don't have any second choices. And they had set, they, uh, they, um, they sent me a list um, of about 20 girls, very stand-up group of women who knows you know we're, we're, we're close but we're not that close yet I'm sure that it'll take it you know you're right she could be busy you know you never know she could have she could be making a movie she could be do whatever it is for the next two years and don't forget that's a big commitment it's not just a movie hopefully this will run for six seasons you know yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think TV is where it's at that's just me personally I think there's so much good TV out there these days. Well, hopefully we're going to see it somewhere soon. Switching yes. gears, <laughs> you were also quite the entrepreneur back in the day. I'm still an entrepreneur. You want to see you, my new invention? Where's you, my new, where's well, it? I know you have a new invention. You have a new selfie stick, don't you? No, this is my star shooter. Star shooter, yes. Okay. It's a case. Can you see me? So it's a case, right? Yeah, I, I, I can see okay. it. It's a case so for your phone. It's a case for your phone, right? You put your, this one is, this is, a, this is for the five, six, seven, eight in the SE okay. iPhone. Put your phone in like this. And has a selfie stick that comes out 
Oh, like wow. This. So the, the stick is actually attached to it. I like it's this. built in. I so love you know, this. You can, so you can, because you never get a good selfie. You always got your hand. Never. And, and it lights up. Let me see. So it lights up. This is multicolor. This is paparazzi white. This is pink, pink and white, blue, blue and white, and multicolor. And then you go into the phone and you pair the, the blue. There's a Bluetooth here. So you can take a picture every second. Just go like this. And it you can stand it up. Wow. You know, this is how I actually happened to invent this. After I had dropped my phone into the toilet for the 87th time, or it had fallen into the sink, I started looking for stands. I couldn't find a stand. They had these little stupid ass stands, things to put them in, you know, things that you could rest them in. That was okay. But I'm not going to carry around the thing and the thing. And I, I always wanted a selfie stick. But then, of course, what are you going to do with a selfie stick? Am I going to put it down the front of my, my, my beaded ball gown or something? So I started coming up with this idea and the more more involved I got the better it got and, the, and now it's 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 perfect it, 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 I take pictures with it every day actually I use it I use it all the time one of the things I use it for the most is just talking on the phone and I like to stand my phone up when yeah. I when, you can, when I like to stand it up and if you and, and it's great for zooming because you, you know like for instance you, you can't always be in front of your computer a lot of times I'm you know out for lunch or I'm in studio, I'm in studio 54 in my dreams, but I'm saying, so you can just pull it out and you know, it's light fits right into my, it doesn't fit into my tiny little evening bags. So you know what I did? I got bigger bags. <laughs> I didn't realize like the little stick part was a part of it. That's a great idea. Yeah. It's built into the case. So it's, a, and it's, it's very lightweight and it, you can move it up and down. You know, you can't, there's no such thing as a good selfie. You always have your hand in it or your thing like this. You know, if, if, and you, you never can get the perfect angle. This gives you the perfect angle every time. And I mean, I, shooter. I have so an a Amazon Prime and, and sells out constantly at the Beverly Hills Hotel. It's called Star Shooter. And like for everyone, I'll, I'll put a link in this bio, but right, like there's lights around it, which is great. But I also agree, like I have a hard time there's no good phone stand. Like I usually lean mine up against something and it's never what? perfect. What do you lean it up? But it slides down every time. You yeah. Gotta, you, gotta, you have to build like a little thing, book in front of the thing. You put a glass in it. This, you can just put it anywhere and it's perfect and has great lighting. And I, I keep it by the side of my bed. You know, when the phone rings, you just stand it up. It's right there. So I use it. I mean, I, it's on my phone. That's This is it. I love it. And, and I invented the star crunch, you know, all my products are star. So I had star caps, which is my diet product. I had 20 billboards all over sunset. I won the Hollywood sunset strip billboard award three years in a row. I'm the one that create, you know, it said, Oh, do me a favor. Say, go in and get, get me one of my little billboards. I want to show, can you, can you go with it? So when I, you know, I'm always trying to find a way to sort of beat the system. And since I really never had any money for advertising and to run a little, you know, the more advertising you do, the more advertising you need. And when I came out with the product, the, the internet had just started. The first year we were on the internet with the star caps, we did $35,000. And the third year we did 2 million. And wow. it hadn't even, if, it, if I had it now, I mean, I don't even know what I would do now. It would be so amazing. But during that time, I, I, decided that I was going to have billboards. So I GNC used to carry my product. We had 
I had a big party on Sunset Boulevard. I had every star. Oh, I don't know if this is too big. I don't know if you can see this. Can you see this? Yeah, I can totally see that. So that's one of them. You see how I used, I, it looks like the Hollywood sign. It does look like the Hollywood sign. Right. I love it. So the Hollywood sign tried to get me to take the billboard down. They went to the, they said, you can't use that. That's the Hollywood sign. Was, it's not the Hollywood sign. There's not, there's not one letter in there that's the same. But, and, and on my bottle, my label was written like that in block letters. And it wasn't, it wasn't shot at the Hollywood sign place. They went bananas. And, Bill, and my friend, Brian Kennedy, that owned Regency Outdoor Advertising, which had the billboards, they said, not a chance. We're not taking her billboards down. So he stuck up for me. They That's tried. Good. Yeah. But now everybody does that. They now all use that logo. It's a good logo. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you also just had a series of a week-long epic birthday party bashes. Yes. In fact, it's in... LA Magazine this week. I saw it in so many places. You had three. Oh, you had. Can you imagine the nerve of me having three parties? It didn't really sort of start out that way. What happened was all of my friends came to me and said, you know, we want to give you, you know, this is the. Wow. This is in the Beverly Hills Hotel. Um, they said, we all want to give you parties. So the Beverly Hills Hotel gave me a party, which was so stunning. And then my friend Josh Flagg, you know, he, you know who Josh is? He's a million I, dollar listing. I just had Bobby Boyd on my show here a few weeks ago. So Don't you just love him? Is he the cutest thing ever and a half? I am crazy. We had so much fun. I'm crazy about him. He's a we, doll face. We talked about your party, Nikki. We talked all oh. about it. Because, I mean, I wanted to know from Bobby, like, you know, because he likes to plan parties. So I'm like, we need to talk this about part, Nikki's they, party. This party was so perfect down to the last i mean have you, have you ever been to santa pay to nikki beach in santa pay yes they look they took they cut out the sign that that went all the way across the pool and said nikki beach they i they had the exact silverware dishes glasses it was set up so and it's so funny because you know i, I do parties in my sleep i mean i'm when during the time that I, that I have my television show i did a party every friday night that's what actually paid for the show I, get, I was the first person that ever gave parties. I was a party promoter. I, I invented that whole concept. Prior to that, nobody ever gave parties in discotheques. The first party I gave was for the Duke and Duchess of Bedford at Xenon. That was, and that was like the beginning. Then the, after that, I, I, did, I did the underground for a long time. I gave parties there every Friday night. And then so I did a party every Friday night. And then I would do two other parties during the month. So I was giving like six parties a month. You know, and it was, but it was great fun. And then what I would do is the clubs would pay me to do the party. We'd have a seated dinner. I'd have a great uh, guest list. You know, I'd, I'd always make sure that wh- whoever I gave the party for had like a great guest list. One time I was giving a party for somebody and I looked at the guest list, but this will never work. <laughs> so I tore it up and threw it out. So that's how the show, that's how I, that's how I kept the show on the air was to give these parties. Wow. And then I would shoot all day. And don't forget, no one wanted to go on cable, period. End of day. They were like, ooh. So I had to figure out a way to beat the system. So giving the parties was a great entree because people all wanted to come to the parties. And then, of course, once they were there, they wanted to be on the show and everything. And then, of course, film festivals was fabulous because you could go to the film. There's always people wanting to be interviewed as opposed to, you know, press agents will never give you 
never give you their client. I mean, you know, you try, you're trying to program your show. You got to do it yourself. Yes. Yes. And yes. You know, listen, there's a lot of miracles, which happen sometimes here behind the velvet rope. And I'm like, I don't know how this happened and I'm not going to, but yes, in general, it's a pain in the ass. Totally. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm, I, and the press agents used to really get pissed off at me because I would go directly to the person. Cause fortunately I, I knew most of them, you know, and when I went to the Philippines with the Marcuses, I was thrilled that George Hamilton was there. You know, in fact, the first time I went out with George Hamilton, when I was about, I had just gotten divorced. So I must've been about 23. He took me to the Beverly Hills hotel and we were with, ready for this? Yeah. Howard Hughes. That was wow. the only time I ever saw Howard Hughes. I was enthralled by him. They have a Howard Hughes suite at the Beverly Hills Hotel. They have like in the in the suite, there's like a coffee table, it's like a fuselage of a plane. It's very cool. Wow. Wow and wow. Um, yeah. So your parties looked amazing, and there were three of them in the Beverly Hills and then, Hotel. And then, and then my my friend Eugenio Lopez, he has a he has the most extraordinary uh museum in Mexico City. Uh, it's a Humex. And he gave me a Studio 54 party. And we had J- Jimmy James, who's a female impersonator, who years ago I had come up to the Palladium when I was giving parties at the Palladium. And he's saying, happy birthday, Mr. President, to Neil Sadaka. So he came and he's saying happy birthday to me. And we had a we had a Dolly Parton drag queen. And we had a Whitney Houston drag queen. And they had a... Um, Joan Rivers, Joan, I think. Yeah, yeah, Joan Rivers. It was really fun. What, how do you know Josh Flagg? I mean, I know he's a LA native too. Actually, it's very funny. You know, I do a lot of, of my favorite charity. One of my favorite charities is Project Angel Food. And um, I was at an event. So it wasn't there. Maybe, I don't even, last year was sort of like a wash. Maybe two or three years ago, he came up to me and says, I want to be your friend. And we've been best friends ever since. I'm on the first two episodes of the show this year. Oh, oh, it's a great show. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't shock me that you're friends with Josh Flagg. That makes really sense. friends, really good friends, really I, friends. I believe it. It makes complete sense to me. I just was wondering, but I mean, I didn't million dollar listing LA is a great show. And it was so funny because we did the show because a friend of mine had come to me and said, you know, I, I want to give Josh the listing for this show, but I'm going to be out of the country. So they came and we shot this a magnificent Spanish house for $17 million on, it was in Bel Air. So, and I'm very funny with Josh. I, he's, he's funny and I'm funny. So at the end of the season, I said, hey, whatever happened to that show? Was, I don't know, didn't get on the air. So I was down, in, so this, this year when we got locked down here, I went down to Miami and I stayed with Clive Davis and I get a call from the producer saying, you know, we just found this footage of this thing that you did we want you to come back and shoot the second part of this, this episode. So I flew back and I had my photographer, Fadil Barisha. He's the one that does all my, just the greatest photographer. He flew out and we did like a simulated photo shoot for the star shooter. And Josh came into this, it came into the set and we sold the thing. It was great. It was so much fun. I love Josh. I wish I could do a show with Josh. I did. um, If you ever have a chance, you ever look at Josh's Zooms, you know, I, I have a piece of exercise equipment that I made, the Star Cruncher, which is a belt that has cords. We did the funniest video. It's on YouTube. 
I have Josh in the Star Cruncher. It's like, it's hilarious. I have to see that. Are you a fan? Like, do you watch any of these reality TV shows like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? I know, I mean, Sonia Morgan was at your birthday party. I love Sonia Morgan. She's a, a friend of mine from long, long before she even got married. I know. So you want to know, I have, I have two problems. First of all, I'm never home. Okay. I'm out every single night. And when I get home, I don't know, I watch something or I don't watch something. And I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the housewife shows. I think whatever. I mean, I love, I love Kathy Hilton more than anything. If I'm ever going to watch anything, it's going to be because of her. I just think she's hysterical. She's fun. She's really one of the, my all time favorite people. She's the coolest. She takes care of all the kids and the, she never bats an eyelash. And I'm glad that she, that she has the show because she's really funny. She's, she's fun. like the breakout. Like people are like, where has this, where's Kathy I'm telling been? You, she's, and you know, it's very funny. She has, I'm sure this is long before you did. Do you remember? You could never remember. George Burns and Gracie Allen. I mean, I know who George Burns is. I mean, I know the name yeah. Gracie Allen too, but, but I can picture Allen, George Burns. Gracie Allen was his wife on the show. Maybe she was like me. I don't know if she was his wife in real life. I, not. And she had this sort of like quirky, funny, like, I don't know that I'm funny kind of sense of humor. You know, she would say things and I'd be like, she doesn't know that she's funny kind of thing. Kathy has that kind of sense of humor. I have a more of in your face kind of a sense of humor. But Kathy has sort of this, oh, I didn't know that I said something was, and it's adorable. It's fun. It's very endearing, I find. I think she's adorable. I'm crazy about her. And I'm, listen, I was there when, when, I, when, when Paris was in, a, was in a baby stroller. So, you know, I mean, I know all these people. I grew up with them, basically. I gave Kathy her 21st birthday party at Studio 54. Are you shocked at just how, you know, like Paris is like a domineering businesswoman. Talk about an entrepreneur. Does that ever shock I'm, you? Well, she, look at him. It's her mother. You know, they wrote a, an article in Vanity Fair and um, they said, don't you think that Kathy Hilton's very pushy? I said, I wish my mother were that pushy. I'd be a lot more successful. You know, you can't just let your kids grow up and do whatever they want. You have to sort of lead them down the path. Kathy's mother was like that. Kathy is very entrepreneurial but she's a great mother. She has big shoulders. She takes care of people. I, I can't even, and she does it effortlessly. She makes it look And you know easy. what she does? She's one of my favorite people because she calls me three o'clock in the morning. And we have conversations like four in the afternoon. She's just like, I'm awake. So I assume you're awake too, but let's talk. I, I, you, you, the, when I, most of the people that I used to speak to that late at night, unfortunately, are not around anymore. But I like talking on the phone at one or two o'clock in the morning. But there's nobody left to talk to, so you have to go to sleep. <laughs> it's, it's a good time Boring. to talk on I the hate phone. That. Well, you also had Candy Spelling at your party, too. I love Candy. And I love Tori. Tori loves the star shooter. I'm going to actually, I'm going to talk to her about being an influencer with the star shooter. And Candy, I've been friendly with for years. And she's, she's doing four Broadway plays. So she's going to be back in New York a lot. She's very, I like Candy. I've always been fond of her. She's fun. She's good sense of humor. You know. And we like Tori. She's been through a lot, Candy. I love Tori. I think Tori's sensational. In fact, we did this dinner. Maybe Bobby talked about it on the show. Did he tell you about the dinner we had at the house? No, but I saw a picture. They have Tori over a lot too, I know. And Melissa Rivers, I know. I love, Joan was one of my dear friends. I used to, she used to, she used to have a show called the Joan Rivers Show. Yes, and she did. I was on the show all the time. So one time I went on the show, and the night before, this is like during the Heidi Fleiss era, 
So she said, who did you see last night? I said, well, you know, actually I saw Heidi Fleiss. She said, well, what did she have to say? She said, well, she told me, I said, I heard that you were handcuffed. She said, yes. I told him that'll be $1,500 more, you know, handcuffs. Yeah. They're, got it. Yep. So I used to go on her show a lot. Joan was wonderful. And ironically enough, because she used to fly back, back and forth to New York, New York and LA. We were always on that 630 flight and we would fly back and forth religiously. To, it just happened. Wow. Plus we had a very, very, very close personal friend and we used to go out for dinner a lot. A Joan huge was, fan. Yeah. I've had Melissa on this show a few times and like, She's I, adorable. I'm, I'm a huge was, Joan Rivers fan, like for real. Oh, me too. And she was just adorable. She was one of the hardest working women I've ever known. And legitimately, possibly one of the funniest people like, and hysterical. Ever. You know, Literally. I always, I, you know, they say, "Well, what would you have been if you, you know, you weren't?" Well, I would have loved to have been a stand-up comic, but I could never have been like her. She said things like, "Wow," and I think I could say just about anything, you know. But she was, um, she was right at the forefront, even with her very abrasive humor. Everybody loved her. Everybody loved her, which is a hard thing to have that type of humor and yet have everyone love you. Well, there are a few people that didn't love her. I think she sort of went out after Elizabeth Taylor a couple of times and she wasn't too happy about that. But, you know, I think she looked at it, anything for a joke, anything for a laugh, you know? Well, with all of these parties you've thrown yourself, I mean, have you, what's the highest budget you've ever had for a party? Like, is there anything that was too much? I never really spent a lot of money on my, part, my parties, I don't think. You know, you know, people make a party. You can have the most ex- expensive glasses and dishes and, you know, fabulous things. And if you don't have a good, a good cast of characters, it's like, give, it's like, why did I give this party? What's the sense? You could have used paper plates and plastic forks. That's true. I mean, Josh Flagg and Bobby, they do know how to throw a party. The best. I have so much fun with them. Josh has just turned into like the little party Dion in the in Beverly Hills, and he's going to be uh, forced to be reckoned with party wise. Had a, uh, he, he, we we went to this party at his house the other night. They had this like a round table thing, and they had um, Tory was there, and what's his name? Um, Jeff Lewis. I know, but the comedian. I just love him. Um, oh, comedian. He's a comedy writer. Huh. I know Jeff Lewis goes a lot. Heather McDonald. She's hysterical. And Melissa and Tori and you. That, that's yeah. kind of the, the inner group. You know, and, it, and it's really fun. I love being with them. They're, all, they're very up. You know, after we've been through all these terrible times, you know, it's nice to look back and reflect on things like that. But moving forward, what is anybody doing? What, what's what's, what's going to come from now? You can't talk about Studio 54 forever. And I, these are the people that are going to change the nightlife change what happens you know in relationships change i mean josh has he's really a great businessman but he's a phenomenal entrepreneur and he sees the big picture you know for for him and i never saw anybody i mean when josh was eight years old he was knocking on people's stores saying could you want to sell your house and i mean i've never seen anybody as and i have a lot of friends of mine that are so successful in the real estate business, none of them compare to Josh as far as being perseverant. He's just on the case. What about, do you have like a favorite guest or like one or two guests from all your legendary parties? Like, is there someone who you just knew if they were on the guest list, it was going to be a good time? Well, you know, the, the, the Andy Warhol, you know, and 
you know, they used to say you could turn a bad party into a good party in five minutes if Andy showed up. And I was always a gigantic Andy Warhol fan. And during that time, um, Andy used to come to studio a lot. And I have a wonderful interview with him on my show, a very funny interview. Andy was sort of shy. We have a very hysterical interview that I did with him. My, okay, my favorite people. Well, when I went to the Philippines with the Marcuses, I mean, Madame Marcus was one of my all-time favorites. She was, I mean, what I had to go through to get that interview, you know, it's like anything else. If, if I didn't get it done, it never got done. They said, no, no. When I went to the Philippines, they said, I went to Rogers and County. I said, you know, I'd, I'd like to set up an interview with Madame Marcus. I went, nope, you want that interview? You're going to have to get it yourself. And, and what I did is I commandeered the local television camera crew and I did all the interviews during the day. The first one I did was with Jeremy Irons. And that night I was with Jeremy Irons at the, and I, they took my tapes and they showed them on television. They speak English in the Philippines. So I went to the, uh, to the American embassy with Jeremy Irons that night. And Madame Marcos came in from the far corner wearing a red dress with big sleeves, you know, she had those big butterfly sleeves. And she came with the army, she had the head of the army. And she Thank came you. all the way around and she came over to me and she said, are you Nikki Haskell? I said, yes. She said, I just saw your interviews. You come with me. And I was always with her, but I still had to ask her for the interview. And they came and got me in an unmarked car. And Jeremy and I said, well, bye. It's been nice seeing you. And I, I'm not an investigative reporter. You know, like, what's your favorite color? Where do you like to go to lunch? She's like, you know, but I made up my mind. And since I've never had a script and I was never, ever, you know, I just interviewed everybody, you know, off the cuff. I made up my mind that I was going to ask her at the time her son-in-law had disappeared and they accused her of having him kidnapped. So I asked her, did you have your son-in-law kidnapped? She was not happy to hear that question. I waited till the end of the interview. Right. And I said, uh, so does it bother you that people compare you with Eva Perone? Oh, she didn't like that at all. I said, and they call you the iron butterfly. She didn't like that. I said, and they're accusing you of kidnapping your son-in-law. I said, but I think you'd be smarter than to do that. She said, that is, a, that is the work of a simpleton. And I am definitely not a simpleton. And she used to come to New York. I used to go to her party. She had a townhouse. I was Some, crazy about her. I sometimes you, really? You just have to go there with a the question sometimes. You know, the dictators, all dictators, I went, because Rogers and Cowan used to send me, that's how I got to the Philippines was through Rogers and Cowan. They, they represented the film festival. But I also, I also went to Chile and I interviewed Pinochet. You know, he was the dictator. He loved me. We, I went, I, they said, you know, you have to have questions. So I wrote down all these questions and everything. Of course, I never asked him any of the questions. And then when I finished, I left. And then the next morning, about eight o'clock in the morning, they called me and said, but you're coming back today to finish your interview, aren't you? I said, sure. So I got dressed and I went back and I had lunch with Pinochet and also Reverend Moon. I, I did the uh, Inchon premiere and, in Cannes, you know, on Inchon, yeah. all the dictators. I was supposed, uh, they called me from the Gaddafi camp and wanted to know if I wanted to interview him. I would love to have been able to interview him. But then the war broke out. He said, no, 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 you can't go there. Did you ever have any really bad experiences, either like an interview or like at one of your parties with like a huge like star or celebrity? The, um, the only, the only problems that I had with interviews, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. So or, I never, or at a party. I, I would, I, when we used to shoot on, in a, on a set, I had Marianne Faithful. Do you know who she was? Is, is, yeah. 
You know, yeah. she was had an affair with Mick Jagger. Don't ask her about Mick Jagger, whatever you do. I said, okay. So I go into the ladies' room and she's standing in the ladies' room. And I said, so do you have um, an album coming out? She said, oh, yes, we're working on a new album. And I said, are you going to go on tour? She said, yes. So I got her on the stage. I said, oh, are you going on tour? She said, no, I'm not going on tour. I said, but you have a new album coming out, don't you? She said, no. I was like, what? You just got through telling me that you were doing it. So then I didn't ask her about Mick Jagger. Towards the end of the interview, she said to me, aren't you going to ask me about Mick Jagger? I said, well, I thought you'd never, you know. The, and but the rockers, I was a, I, I was at Cannes and I was doing Men at Work. Remember the, the group Men at Work? Yeah. So the lead singer sitting there, sitting there like this, and he's got these earphones in his ear. He's got like a Walkman in his hand. And I'm trying to interview him. I reached across the thing and I grabbed him. I said, are you going to do this interview with me? Or are you going to be a pain in the air? He was like, but I didn't have any problems. One time I was supposed to be at the at the palace to interview President Marcos. And I was on some yacht in Corregidor with Man, with Madame Marcos. Her yacht was a um, a battleship. And as you walk, it was like a battleship. There was like, you know, planes on the front of the thing. But as you walked in, it looked like a, it looked like a townhouse in France. And as we walked in, I walked in with George Hamilton and his mother. At the end of the room, there were two huge Limoges urns, like floor to ceiling urns. And there were two people standing on stepladders with oil drums of caviar, pouring the caviar into these oil drums. It's fabulous, right up my alley. Wow. So amazing, so opulent. Is there, a, first of all, I love caviar. Some people don't like it. I, I love it. Love it. Is there someone that you would love to have at one of your parties that you haven't had? Brad Pitt. Why? Because I'm madly in love with him. I've been in love with him forever. I think he's so divine. And Robert Redford, those are the two. That, the only two, I only met Robert Redford once at the premiere of the Malagra Beanfield incident or something. But those are the only two, because usually if I really want to meet somebody, somehow I always work it out. But Brad Pitt, I missed him. I can't seem to get my hands on him, but it's not over yet. And he's not married to Angelina Angelina anymore. So, you know. Poor thing. She, she looks like a real tough cookie. Not a lot of laughs. I don't think you're like hysterically falling down laughing with her. She's so tough. Brad Pitt would be at the top of your list and Angelina yeah. Jolie maybe on the do not invite list. No, absolutely. I would invite her too. I believe in mixing it up. You got to mix it up. Well, you know what? Maybe after this comes out, it will be out there in the universe that Brad Pitt is at the top of your list. Yeah. I mean, I used to be madly in love when I was a kid. My, my teenage idol was, was a Tony Curtis. And I worked it out that Tony Curtis and I were best friends. So there you are. You got to like will it into existence. Yeah, You actually do have to will it in. Well, speaking of like a Josh Fogg, like, you know, listen, Josh has like an old soul. And I mean that. In totally. Like the, which is great. It's, it's so funny. He says to me, you want to see my new Rolls Royce? He takes me out and he shows me this 1967. I said, I had it when it was new. He's like, uh, people, young kids today don't don't think the way he does. Because don't forget, first of all, his grandmother was very influential. Yeah. And she was and she was a great role model. It's so important in life, you know, to have a, either a family member or a friend or somebody that's a, a role model, someone that you can either pattern yourself after or live up to their, you know, their their expectations. If you just go around doing nothing and you don't and see that we live in a world today where there aren't a lot of heroes. The hero story is gone. All the heroes have turned out to be not heroes, you know. So it's, it's problematic. I mean, how do kids today, who do they look up to? Football players, they're all a pain in the ass. They're all drug addicts. 
I mean, they're not all drug addicts, but you know, they're all taking steroids or whatever. You look up to baseball. Who do you look up to? Who do these children have? We had idols in, when we were kids, whether it be movie stars. And I don't think today, I don't know. I, I, I'm out of touch with, with, the, with the younger group, I think. So you do think like the new Hollywood just doesn't compare to like the good old days? You know, I hate when people compare. It's not like it was kind of concept. Ironically enough, the era that I, in the 80s, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the best music, okay, the, be, the best art, all the great artists, you know, all the contemporary artists, Basquiat, Andy Warhol, Keith, you know, all that, that whole area, gone, they're all gone. So that's, that's over and out. So there's no, nothing that's really compared to that. Music was so amazing, whether even, even not just, not necessarily just disco music. I mean, there were great crooners and singers. I mean, there's no more, you know, uh, there's no more anybody, basically. No more Lena Horne, no more, you know, Tony Bennett, uh, Frank Sinatra. It's a different era. You know, I said to Clive, you know, I, I haven't, you know, usually you're working with someone, you know, that, you know, Clive's doing a big thing in Central Park. He's opening up. Oh, the, really? Yes, he's doing a concert on the 21st of August. Um, the mayor huh. requested him to officially open Central Park and open the city of New York. Wow. You know, and that's, there's no one like Clive Davis. I mean, I'm, I'm so honored that he's my friend because his, the way he, I was, I was in lockdown with him. We, um, just uh, March the 12th, I was having dinner at, at uh, Craig's, which is sort of like the local hangout here. Yeah. And Clive called and he said, you know, I'm going down to Palm Springs to, to quarantine. I wasn't really like taking it that seriously. So I went down to Palm Springs for one week. I was there for 14 weeks and it was fabulous being around him. So inspirational. His work ethics are unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I've never seen anybody as he's up every morning. He's like, does this, this, he, and he knows it's very difficult to compartmentalize 10 different things at one time. He was working on the Whitney Houston, which hasn't come out yet. The, the, the movie on her, he just, he did the Aretha Franklin, the genius series. He got a, some old song that had never been on, it was on an album of uh, Barry Manilow called Until the Good Times. He got that on the hit list. They said, Mr. Davis, we're, we're closed. You know, Sony's closed. He goes, no, no, no. This, ha- this is going to be released now. They said, there's like, it's not going to happen. Bingo, it's on the top of the list. He's I just, no, I just nobody like him. I think when you're Clive Davis and you call Sony, somehow they figure it out. They obviously. And then he did this fabulous Zoom every week with Richard Weitz, you know, that they uh, they were doing it four or five hours at a time. Clive, Clive was calling all these people that he hadn't spoken to in years. And he'd say, hi, this is Clive Davis. Guy says, prove it to me. How do I know this? <laughs> it was the funniest thing. Because what's his name? The one that said, saying the tie a yellow ribbon, uh, uh, Tony Orlando, right? They were yeah. going to have him on the sequel. He was, hello, this is Clive Davis. Don't tell me this is Clive Davis. <laughs> he said, you have to prove it to me. How do I know it's really you? And he was calling all these people to be on this Zoom. It was so funny. I didn't even so- know that there was a new Whitney Houston coming out, a movie. I didn't know yes. that. Wow. It's, it, it's with, uh, I'll tell you, um, Maybe I should know that, but I Anthony, don't. Anthony, Anthony, I'm, I'm, the man that the man that wrote um, <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody, Anthony McCardle. Oh. 
He did Bohemian Rhapsody and the Two Popes. So he's writing, he wrote it. And I think they've just cast it. That'll be good. Yeah, that'll be fabulous. What about, I know you don't like the housewives, but what about people No, I like, didn't say I didn't like the housewives. You just don't I, I actually, it. I mean, I, I actually am friendly with quite a few of them. That's not true. I do actually, you know what? I like everybody. I think everybody should do what they have to do. And if you'd be successful, why not? You only mm-hmm. live once. You got to do everything and try everything no matter what. I think it's important. Well, you that's step why. out there. Well, what about like, are you a fan? Like, did you ever watch the Kardashians? I mean, they are. I love our- the Kardashians. I love the Kardashians. I've known them forever. I was friendly with, with Bruce and Chris. They actually, I gave a, who did I give a birthday party for? Oh, I gave a birthday party. I gave a party for um, Kathy Lee Gifford and Frank Gifford at my apartment and, um, and Bruce. But I know Bruce back, you know, from, from Can't Stop the Music when Alan Carr did Can't. So I know them a long time. And and, the, and I love the Kardashians. I love the girls. I love Kim. I think she's fabulous. I think they're all fabulous. Talk about a group of people that work. I mean, they they work. You know, everybody says, oh, you know, they're famous for being famous. I don't think so. You know, they're out there working. I mean, Kim is between the, the lot. She's got kids and crazy ass husband and working hard. And the family's very close. Very And Chris is sensational. I'm, I'm big fans of them. I'm big fans of them too. Here's my question before we wrap up. How, I mean, I mean, you're 80. You've lived a life. How, first of all, do you remember? I don't remember what I did like five years ago. I mean, I remember things, but not, you remember so many details. How? You know, it's, I have a <laughs> photographic mind to begin with. And, but I, it's funny because you know, you think you, first of all, I keep it, I've kept a diary every day of my life since I'm 11, which is great because when I was writing the story, I, I could actually, I knew the exact day that this happened, the exact day. That, so that's, that's always been a great thing. And I still keep a diary every day. There's nothing in there that's going to, you know, rock the boat. It's basically where I went. And, you know, it's not like I'm in love with so-and-so right. and he's married and I want him to leave. There's none of that stuff. It's just a basically where I was kind of thing. I have a really great memory. But ironically enough, you know, you think you have like the world's greatest memory. And then like my, the DuPonts, Richard and Robert DuPont, they used to work on the Nikki Haskell show. They remember everything. I called, I called and said, where, where did this interview, because when we were in, don't forget, I haven't seen these tapes in 40 years. Yeah. When the tape came on, there was this interview with Andy Warhol. Like, where did this come from? So I called, I called Richard DuPont. I said, do you remember when I did this interview? Yes, he remembers who was there, where we were, the name of the restaurant, the name of the person that gave the party, where we went afterwards. I mean, it was, so if I can't fill in the blanks, they always can. They're amazing. I was going to say, because you remember a lot. And well, that's one of my final questions. You know, you did just have this series of 80th birthday parties. You are, forget about how you look. You look youthful, but like your spirit, like how, what is your secret? Is it just like live today and going out every night? I mean, you still go out all the time before COVID. You were out and about. I was out doing COVID too. I was out. Well, you you, you were in Florida, which was the place to be. I was in Florida, but I was also locked down for, and don't forget Clive Davis goes out every night of his life. So there we were in the house, but we, we made it through that though. We did great. It was, it was, you know, I, I'm very fortunate. I was brought up in a household. I mean, my, my father died when I was a little girl. Yeah. So my mother brought us, my mother was so positive. 
you know, everything was a plus, everything that you did was great, everything you, everything, and, and, and inspired me, you know, I really wasn't, I wasn't, I just wanted to grow up. Uh, there was a period of time I wanted to be a movie star, you know what I'm saying? But nobody was really interested. You have to study. You can't just be these things. So I got lucky. You know, it's luck and opportunity to meet each other. That's how it works out. I mean, the fact that I don't know what I would be or where I'd be today if it wasn't for Egon von Furstenberg. I mean, if he hadn't brought me on the show, the show was never my idea. You know, I mean, I never had any, I was never my idea to become a stockbroker. Just one day I woke up and I had a television show, you know, actually that's exactly what happened. You know, I, I saw, I saw a football game one time. It was a college game and the kick, the, the kickoff, the guy caught the ball, ran a hundred yards for a touchdown. And the announcer said to him, how did you know what to do? It's your first game. He said, you know, when they give you the ball, you have to know what to do. And that's the case. You have to be prepared. And you also have to be able to take risks. You can't say, well, I never did that. I don't know how to do that. What do I do? You just, I, mean, I went places and did things that I should never have done. Ended up in places that I, I mean, I should never have been on the top of the float at, at Carnival. I worked it out. I talked to the guy. He took me to the thing. They put me up. I mean, it was, it, nothing just happens. You have to make it happen. And it all, you know, all the, I keep telling my nieces and nephews, you got to start young. It takes so long to get anything done and you cannot give up. Like for instance, it took me eight years to do the star shooter. It took me five years to do the star cruncher. You can't give up if you have, and don't be afraid to live your dreams and don't be afraid to do something that no one else has done, but you have to have the courage of your convictions. You have to be honest to yourself to a fault. You have to be able to take a punch. Not every moment is perfect that you're going to get a lot of no's. I mean, I can't tell you how many people, anytime I do something, I don't even ask anybody anymore because they say, no, you can't do that. No, you can't go there. No, it's not going to work. No, you can't. I don't even ask them. I just do it. And of course you make mistakes along the way. And the one of the things that never punish yourself, I never, if I make a mistake, what can I do? Hopefully I won't make it again. You know, it's a learning experience. People cannot learn by your mistakes. I mean, my mother would say, I'm telling you, in a year from now, you'll look back on it like, like it never happened, you know, like romances or whatever. And you can't learn by other people's experience. You have to learn by your own experience, but you can take advice from people and you, you don't have to live your life the way they do. But, you know, you have to be around people that are inspirational, people that tell you, you don't want to be around somebody who says, I don't feel good. It's not good. Every morning I get up, I thank God that here I am and I look good and I feel good. You know, I don't even drink coffee. I'm up in the morning at eight, wow. five thirty, six o'clock. I'm up. I'm ready to go. Always ready to go. But my secret is I take a disco nap every day. Actually, I invented the disco nap. Well, I mean, I wouldn't expect anything less from someone who basically opened Studio 54. I mean, it was so much fun. I have fun now. I have fun now. I was raised at a very similar. I have a very similar outlook on life. I was raised at a very similar like. I mean, I've had different businesses, like they were successful. I sold a business. Like I was raised with an entrepreneurial spirit of like, you just where do. Were, where were you brought up? I was brought up mostly in Connecticut. So, you know, what close part? to New York, Orange. It's like Orange, right? Woodbridge. You know it? Beautiful up there. It's like a good, you know, it's suburbia. It's a good place to grow up. Do you have and any like, brothers and sisters? A sister who's still in Connecticut. My family's either like New York City or Connecticut. Or Are you Westchester. close with your family? Yeah, like close, close. We're just, you know, I'm in the city and I'm, I'm always traveling too, but we're close, if that makes any sense. Did you ever come out to LA? Yeah, all the time. 
I know we have to uh, listen. I was already out there this month. Oh, and do you know who's a really good friend of mine who I saw? I didn't even tell him I was Joey Santos. I just saw Joey when I was there a few weeks ago. Like a really <laughs> I good friend at his of mine. house the other night. I, I saw and I, I was literally just at his house. I mean, I stayed in a hotel, but I was there at the beginning of this month. I was I supposed mean, to be I, back this week, actually. I, I can't really didn't. discuss it, but I mean, he gave a birth. He gave a birthday party for Suzanne to pass. I saw who's one of my all-time favorite people, and we're working on a huge project together. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Which is just quite amazing. I have yeah. to get your info for when I'm there next, because I'm, I'm in there, I go back and forth as well. I'm going to be, I mean, I was hoping I was, I was going to go back, you know, to be with Clyde for the, for the, for the thing in the park, but I'm working on a huge project and I have to be here. I was supposed to be there this week and I'm just you like. Know, I've got, I'm working on four major projects at the same time. I don't even. And it's, it's interesting because of the fact that I'm so scatterbrained. It's great when you work on a large project. Sometimes you think about this and sometimes you think about this. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I start one project and I go to somehow it always gets done. But, you know, I can't just do one thing. I have to do lots of different things. What's your astrological sign? I'm a Taurus with Libra rising and my moon is in Aquarius. I'm born under a triple trine, which means I'm destined for fame. I'm still waiting. <laughs> uh, people know your name, Nikki. I think you're doing pretty. You think? Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. I've been, they've been writing about me since I'm 13. And thank God, maybe they finally know who I am by now. <laughs> uh, they know who you are. This is just a total personal, like self-indulgent question. Have you ever met or hung or know Madonna or Cher? Well, so actually I do. Um, I go back a long way with Cher and uh, I, I'm, I'm a gigantic Cher fan gigantic gigantic we, she lived in the sierra towers when i lived in the sierra yes. towers she used to, she used to come to my parties once in a while in fact the funniest thing we went this friend of ours gave like a broke back mountain kind of cowboy party karaoke thing so i was singing and she was dancing i said this is a first i'm singing and you're dancing you know i i'm a, a gigantic share fan and madonna i did the premiere of desperately seeking susan i did the premiere of private eyes so I know Madonna, but I'm not, I mean, she might know who I am. She probably does, but we're not joined to the hip or anything. But I'm a big Madonna fan, too. I think she's super talented. Desperately Seeking Susan was one of the best movies Wasn't ever. that fun? We did, we did it at Private Eyes. It was a club in, in Manhattan. Do you remember Private Eyes? It was on 21st Street. They had video walls. It was really a fun club. And the man that owned the club was such a pain in the ass. Every time I gave a party, he would. it was like... It was weird because they were hire you to come and do the party. And then when you did the party, they hated you for it because they had to pay you. It was like, a, why am I? I just paid a million dollars for this club. Now I've got to hire her, you know, to bring people to my club. So we always had a problem. So when I gave this Desperately Seeking Susan party, I had we were having a seated dinner. Private Eyes was small. but We had about maybe 30 or 40 people. So yeah. I get to the club. There's no tables and chairs. I said, excuse me, we're having a seated dinner. What happened to the tables and chairs? He said, I decided I didn't want to pay the rentals. I said, well, where do you expect everybody to sit? So I went outside. It was a restaurant next door. 
and I took their tables out of the restaurant and their chairs and the napkins and the silver, and I set it up in private eyes. You know, you've got to be inventive. You can't let anybody get you. You've got to be one step ahead of the game. Well, good thing you did. Otherwise, Madonna might not have been pleased if she couldn't sit down. You never know. You never know. Anything else you want to leave us with that I haven't brought up? Let me see. Well, there's a couple, you know, of course, um, there's a couple of big projects that I'm working on, which will come to pass soon. And, um, but I really, I think one of the things that I really would like to say to your audience is yes. you have to really be kind to yourself during this period of time and don't punish yourself and don't take things too seriously. One of the great things, you have to let things go. You can't, you can't keep dwelling. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Just, you know, I know this sounds terrible to say, but you have to actually be superficial. You can't take things personally. I mean, nobody wants to have a bad time or lose money or get fat or do whatever they do, but we all go through different stages. But I beg you to be strong and be positive and make sure that every day counts. You know, my mother used to say, take good days and bad days and treat them the same. So you have to rise to the occasion every morning that you get up. You can't feel sorry for yourself because once you get into that dilemma, it becomes constant. You know, if you keep saying, I'm great, I feel great, you then it happens. I always try to feel great. I'm always, I, I think I'm, I have a very even temper. I'm always in a good mood. I mean, I could go dancing at nine o'clock in the morning. I mean, I'm, unfortunately, there's no place to go. There uh, it was a fabulous discotheque out here that I used to co- go to called Giorgio's. Yeah. And that was like the, the only little discotheque left in mankind. And they just sold the hotel. But maybe, maybe someday I'll open up my own club. You never know. You should. Well, that's why you're a fun girl to hang out with because you wake up with this positive attitude each day. And that is good advice. I mean, you can't change the things that have already passed. You know, you can't live in the past, even though there's some wonderful memories that we have. And unfortunately, as you get older, people have a tendency to live in the past, you know, because, and and another thing is, as you get older, people say, oh, you know, I've done that. I I don't have to do that again. I already did that once. I don't have to go there. I've already been there. That's a terrible attitude. You know, that been there, done that, seen that. I hate that when people say you you want to go to someplace and they say, oh, I've been there. How many more times? I want to, to me, every day is a new day. Everything I do is, is fun. I try to make every moment challenging and rewarding and do a lot of things, pack a, you know, pack a whole day into the day. I mean, I don't get up at 12 o'clock and go out the way I used to, but I mean, Unless I can't move, which is, I'm never sick, thank God. I'm always, I'm I'm lucky. I'm always in a good mood. You know, some days you just can't do anything about anything. You just have to move on. But stay strong, stay positive. That's what it's all about. That is great advice. And everyone needs to follow you on Instagram. Yes, I'm Big Nick BH. I'm on TikTok and I'm Nikki Haskell on, on Facebook. I didn't realize you were on TikTok. I'm going to have to find you on TikTok. I, I am sort of like, do not know what I'm doing on TikTok. I don't know what but I'm doing lot, on TikTok. I don't know. There's like little buttons and things. It's, I don't know if it's, if it's for me or if it's for them. Am I following them? Are they liking me? You know, but so far, I'm pretty good. I got about 8,000 followers so far in about a so week bad. and a half, two weeks. And where can everyone find this amazing invention, the Star Shooter? The Star Shooter is on Amazon Prime, as is the Star Cruncher, and at the Beverly Hills Hotel. I mean, I'm really easy to find. 
you know, if, you, if you're looking for the Nikki Haskell show, Amazon Prime, soon to be on Crackle. And it's a great every show. You, and, I, and, you know, I get up every day, I paint. I always have something, some pride, you know, I take my paints with me wherever I go. When I go on trips, I paint all the time. I've done 150 of these little, you know, sort of port, ports of call. You got to always have projects going. You can't, and the worst, you thing you can, the worst thing you can do is not have any projects. Because if you don't have projects, then your mind gets weak. And that's the last thing that you possibly want. I agree. You have been wonderful. When I come to LA, we need to have a drink. Without, we'll have dinner. We'll go to Craig's. We'll go to Soho. We'll go to the Beverly Hills Hotel, my favorite place. I'm down for all of those. We'll have fun. We'll invite Joey with us. To it. You can tell Joey you spoke to me. I'm going to tell him I spoke to you. Keep it a secret. Thank you for joining us. Everyone needs to follow you. You have been a great guest. I will talk to you soon. Okay, darling. Love you. Love you. And now before- Toodaloo. And before you go, now you can just say, and then I I can do it as a separate, you just say, like, this is this, like, this is Nikki Haskell, something about like being on behind the velvet robe. And Okay. This is Nikki Haskell. Follow me. I'm going to be behind the velvet rope. That's perfect. Watch the velvet rope. It's going to be terrific. I'm on it. You'll find out things you never knew before. And I'll give you the links and everything. When, when okay, great. Out. You've been great. Thank you so much for your time. Thank Sorry you. we went over. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Stay out of trouble. Okay. Well, we don't know about that. <laughs> do our right. very best. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, perfect. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review. Because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you, guys. See you soon.